Welcome to 100 PM, the show where we interview 100 active product managers from startups to enterprise, everything in between, all from one great city every season. If you're joining us for the first time, be sure to visit our website, 100productmanagers.com. That's the number 100, productmanagers.com. It's the web's largest single free resource for product management topics. We've got tons of great articles about business, technology, and design, fabulous contributors, and the official must-read, listen-to-follow list, as recommended by our incredible guests, week over week. It's season one. We're here in sunny Los Angeles. I'm your host, Susanna Bate, resident instructor at General Assembly and founder of The Development Factory. Welcome, and thanks for listening. Jib Jab, you all know them. Purveyors of hilarious e-cards all year long, dancing elves with mom and dad's faces crudely attached. You and your four best friends superimposed onto bodies dancing to Justin Bieber. Jib Jab's big audacious goal is to make billions of people happy, and they're doing it right from here in Marina Del Rey, in their awesome new office. And I'm sitting down with Mike Bracco. Mike is the senior product manager at Jib Jab. He manages the mobile team, and he's going to tell us how he ended up in this mysterious world we call product management, and why doing less is the real secret to accomplishing more. did some work as a writer and a social media commentator mm-hmm. so um, ended up in product management at Mahalo that was your first PM job mm-hmm. what prompted the shift was it a conscious I want to move into this direction yeah it was kind of weird so I mean I in college like high school college I started to get really into sort of technology and I you know I geeked out on, on computers and different things um, but in college I studied economics um, so very much like math focused um, and after I got out of school, I just sort of, you know, fell into a job that was more marketing centric. But I knew sort of like my love for technology, especially like consumer tech and, and apps and, and different things was right when the first iPhone was released. Um, so I, I knew I wanted to get in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at Mahalo, I had the opportunity to sort of work on product things, designing systems, different things like that. So I just took the opportunity to sort of shift my career that way um, and that's kind of when I made the switch and had you had any formal training in any of those things no no formal training so it was sort of, I was kind of thrown in the deep end I mean I at Mahalo I working for Jason Calacanis you sort of wear many hats and he likes to hire sort of young guns that are ambitious and want to do things so I definitely was able to take on responsibilities and, and things that I probably wouldn't have had the chance to take on at, at larger companies but uh, so that was kind of a great thing where I could just uh, you know do things I've never done and, and, and from there just leverage that experience. So what were some of the things that you did kind of right off the bat that you had never done like do you remember the first assignment where they're like 
okay, you got to do this. And you're like, I have no idea what that is. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I'm trying to remember, one of the first you know things, so Mahal at the time was uh, producing content and monetizing via uh, you know, uh, AdSense, AdWords. It's kind of like a demand media model. And so um, you know, we were challenged with scaling up our content production, um, getting more writers, remote writers. And so it was designing a system to uh, get writers to write, pick up articles, write them, and then get paid. And so um, basically it was designing that system. And so at first it was really manual and, and clunky and sort of throughout, you know, as time went on, you know, we basically formalized some of the manual processes mm -hmm. that, you know, I created using like everything from Google spreadsheets to just crazy things and then worked with the developers to actually build formalized tools to, to, to manage the process. Yeah. So it was kind of my first foray into designing systems and thinking about it, um, you know, was just through there, through that. Right. So you quite literally learned on the job. Exactly. Yeah. How do you think you got that job to begin with? I mean, I know you said the CEO was sort of looking for young guns was it just like I walked in and I was the profile of the right amount of ambitious and hungry yeah. enough and they ignored everything else on my resume yeah. or you had things on your resume that they saw could be transferable or, or valuable yeah so uh, you mentioned the sort of writing and social media so before I even moved to LA um, you know my passion for technology consumer stuff I um, actually reached out to the next web at the time and was able to like become a, a part-time writer no, not getting paid not for anything but I just sort of did it um, to try to build my own personal brand and to to get experience and to at least be talking about things that I wanted to work on but I wasn't currently in my current job Mm -hmm. So um, I did that, and I think one of the things actually I remember uh, during the interview process that stood out was just sort of my passion for for technology in the space because um, I had been writing for the Next Web. So even though I wasn't working in product management or, or uh, that area, I sort of positioned myself in the best way I could through my writing to try to show my interest and show my passion in that area. And so I think that was one of the differentiating factors during the interview process was just you know my my interests yeah, outside of work in in that space. Right. How did you convince the Next Web to um, let you have be a contributing author? Yeah, I mean, well. If if you're working for free, right? And, uh, you know, I, I uh, you know, was active on Twitter and was active, you know, and I got to sort of interact with the editor over there. And, and um, you know, I wrote a couple pieces and, they, you know, they have to approve them before they go live. So, you know, it was pretty easy to sell. Like, it's not that hard to, uh, you know, whether it's the next web or any other publications. Like, if you if you have ambition, you can, you can write decently. Um, you probably would become like a contributor. And if you're not working in product management, or those areas like it's a good way to build a personal brand around it so when you are sitting across the table from from someone and for a product job you can sort of show your your thoughts around a specific area even though you might not be working there right cool awesome so we're here at Jib Jab, this uh, super fun, hopefully. Do you think they'll let me take a photo or two of the space? Yeah, 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 for sure. Okay, cool. Sure. The world will want to know. We don't have any top secret stuff. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, give us just like a super high level, something that we wouldn't find on the website, but in your words, you know, what is Jib Jab about? And then um, part two is, you know, what are you doing specifically as part of the mobile team? Yeah. 
So, I mean, the kind of the core of jib jabbing, it's, it's uh, founded 15, 16 years ago now, so it's been around for a while. It's gone through lots of uh, iterations, um, but the core thing is, is making people laugh, uh, making people happy. Um, and, and for the last seven or years or so, that's kind of centered on the starring you, which is your face, you know, in, in content. Um, and so, um, the existing uh, business, the, the one that keeps the lights on and pays the bills, is the e-card business on the website uh, and also now in the iOS uh, app. Um, and my current task is basically trying to figure out how we take the e-cards, which is very much a model uh, in a format that was sort of uh, conceived of in the, the desktop era and involve it uh, on mobile devices. Um, so we're working on sort of reinventing jib-jab in the mobile mobile space. Okay. So any major milestones or releases that are, you know, that have just come out or that are forthcoming for the world or it's like, wait till you see this new face of jib-jab. Wait till you see yeah. this new mobile era that we've been cooking up yeah, here so, in your home. <laughs> so we, a couple years ago, we released um, the iOS app uh, and then about a year later on Android. Um, and in addition to e-cards, we have sort of starring gifts. So, you know, looping gifts with your face, uh, stickers, emoji, different things like that. So now the, the mobile app has e-cards, but it also has this more shorter form content that's more like conducive to quick uh, everyday sharing. Because what we see with e-cards is, you know, it's a handful of times a year that you want to send an e-card, whether it's for a holiday or a birthday. Um, so really with our shorter form content that we release, uh, it's about sort of everyday things and the emotions you want to express with friends. Um, so that's what's in the market now. Um, the next major, uh, you know, thing we're working on um, is sort of just to take that personalization further, uh, and probably something towards the holidays, which are our big time of year, that we'll we'll have something there. So is is the idea um, with the mobile app moving away from being kind of? Oh, it's Christmas. I should do a fun, you know, elf thing into, I guess, you know, maybe another way to put it is you look at what's happening with Snapchat, right? It's like, oh, here's a new filter. Let's play with this filter for the next two days until we've exhausted it. So kind of moving into that space of let's get people interacting daily and, and being part of the product. Is that a goal? Yeah, it's definitely a goal. Our, our major objective is to just increase the frequency of use because eCards is a very low frequency use case, whereas uh, gifts, stickers, emoji, things you send via text is a, you know every day, multiple times a day. Right. So it's trying to align sort of the core of JibJab, which is around the face personalization, um, with uh, content formats and things people want to use in a frequent ba in, a, in a frequent manner. Um, so so yeah, so that's kind of the main objective. Um, with our like evolution of our formats. Okay. Yeah. Um, you sort of self-describe yourself as a product owner when you talk about being responsible for managing sprint cycles and you know really an active role in the development planning. So I guess maybe can you explain in your words the distinction between the term product owner and product manager as it relates for you? Yeah, so um, JibJab, I mean, we're, we're still a fairly small company, so um, people wear different hats. Um, and so elf hats. Elf hats, yeah, <laughs> elf hats, exactly. Uh, so um, I, I, in addition to sort of normal product manager sort of type, type tasks, I'm also sort of 
managing like the cadence and the weekly um, sprint process, um, which, you know, in a large organization, you probably have a scrum master, you probably have these roles more segregated, but uh, for JibJab, our team's so small, um, you know, not only am I sort of designing the UX of the next feature, looking at data, analyzing how it's how the app's performing, but also like day to day, week to week, you know, managing new features and things through through the pipeline to, to shipment. So it's kind of that dual hats is is how I work at JibJab. So how many developers? The developers are all in house here. Correct. Yes, we occasionally for different projects we outsource, right. um, but more yeah, more or less everything's in house. So so how many kind of dedicated developers do you have for your team or your product, the mobile apps? So the mobile app team, so resources have been shifting recently, but right now we have five, five developers. Um, so, and then we have, uh, you know, separate uh, QA, dedicated QA team, and then designers, uh, and then production. So it's kind of like those are the different, different areas. Right. So how much, I mean, when you talk about your day to day, give give me a sample of you walk in, you walking in at nine or you walking at eleven? Tell the truth. Uh, walking around ten. Well, okay, split the difference. So you come in. I, I notice because I live on the east side. Yeah. So whenever I come to the west side, I'm like, oh yeah, this is how people live. It's just yeah. relaxed and it's they're walking their dogs and it's yeah. perfect. And I think, why am I on the east side again? It's got its merits. Yeah. That's true. So you come in around ten. What happens? Give the mm-hmm. the rundown. Uh, so we have a daily stand up at 1010 uh, in Slack. Do you lead that? So it's actually in Slack. So we have okay. a bot that manages it. So oh, wow. Well, okay. It's called Tattoo. It's like a Slack bot. And it just asks everyone, um, you know, what they what they did yesterday, what they're doing today, any blockers. And then we actually have an interesting one at the end, which is what did you learn yesterday? What's one thing you learned? So it's kind of a cool way to get a little like taste for someone's interest in, in who they are outside of work because it's always interesting. It doesn't necessarily always pertain to, to work. So, so I get in, we have the, the Slack stand-up. Uh, and then it, it kind of just depends. My day to day will vary quite a bit um, within like months or periods of time, depending on what we're working on. So if we're working on a major new feature or redesign, then it's going to be like heavy uh, UX design, designing flows, and then sketch. I'm just sort of thinking through a product challenge. Um, whereas if we're more in, in maintenance mode, then um, you know it's it's different types of things like so it kind of depends on on where we're at product wise in the cycle right you mentioned that you had designers on your team but you've also now mentioned twice kind of steering some UX so help me understand how is that flowing are you kind of owning the user experience ideas and then parsing that off to the designers is it collaborative it's definitely collaborative so if if what I'm working on is sort of an iteration from what our current experience is like I'll have our uh, sort of style guide and sketch files to work from so I'm more or less just designing in like a pixel perfect based on our current st- our current aesthetic and current structure mm-hmm. but if it's blue sky new feature doesn't nothing really resembling the current app has it then I'll probably um, I'll first work in um, uh, like a wireframing tool just to like think through the flow and then I'll take a first stab at the UX using sketch but more or less just black and white not focusing on design or color just kind of like layout uh, and then I'll start to like engage with a designer like at some point in that process to, and then they'll take it take it from there do you have a current favorite wireframing tool uh, I use so it kind of depends I 
use um, Lucid Charts um, okay. for like more like complex ones, and for basic ones, um, there's another one that I use. I'm blanking on the the name. Uh, Mindmeister. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So just for like more like brainstorming, and then Lucid Charts for for wireframing. So when you talk about you know just playing with ideas, is that um, results from certain analyses that are catalyzing you to say, oh, we've got to play with this. We're not getting the conversions that we want here. Or is that just you kind of obsessively thinking every day about how could the product be different? What if we moved this button here? What if we did this thing? Mm -hmm. I guess another way to put it is, is that need being mandated or are you mandating it as a way of kind of constantly ideating and innovating on the product? Yeah, so we uh, we have as a team like certain sort of high level KPIs that we're trying to improve that we've agreed upon are the most important things. Um, you know, so for the current app, you know, it's really seven thirty day retention. So we're trying to do it, release any features, um, change the UX in any ways that we think is going to have the highest impact on our retention. Um, and um, aside, if it's not KPI related, then it's you know maybe just an improvement of the experience. Uh, certainly bug fixes, uh, improving flows, um, but more or less we try to focus our efforts on the, uh, the KPIs that we've, that we've agreed upon. And who sets the KPIs? Uh, it kind of depends. Well, it's a collaborative process, so it's 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 the product team. It's um, go, goes up to the CEO, um, and it kind of just depends on on what um, you know we think the thing we need to focus on at that moment. And so where we are now with the product, it's all about uh, retention, um, trying to get the product you know product market fit and, and get users to to stay in the product. So that's kind of where we are now. Right. And then how often typically will the KPIs change? Is it quarterly? Is it annually? Is it everybody stop working on retention and start working yeah. on this? It, it kind of just depends. There's no set duration. It just kind of it depends on uh, you know how the product evolves and when we think it's better to focus on something else or you know what opportunities come up. Like we you know we last year um, were working on stuff and then all of a sudden you know Facebook called us up and said hey we're working on this new platform for Messenger like do you guys want to work with us and so we sort of shifted resources right um, to work on that so it kind of it all, it all depends and certainly sometimes things come up that change your strategy um, so you got to be agile I guess to for sure yeah so to, to go back to what you were talking about so you know retention is the KPI retention is on your mind at what kind of point do you go from collecting the data into making a change is that weekly is that monthly what is sort of the cycle whereby you say okay we looked at our 7 to 30 day retention number over X period mm -hmm. and now we're going to institute a change. So it's, I mean, looking at data as a weekly process um, for things um, that are uh, key things we've released to affect retention, you know, we can look at things pretty quickly, um, you know, probably like a week or two for depending on the feature before we can get a signal as to which which way, if it's working or if it's not. Um, one big recent win for us was um, birthday alerts in the JibJab app okay. uh, for retention. Um, so we were able to um, release a feature that basically notifies, sends a push notification when a user has a birthday um, after they've authenticated with their calendar. Um, so we've seen that as, like, as a big win. So it kind of just depends on, um, on how long it's going to take users to adopt the feature to get feedback. Right, right. 
You've been here four years. I have. Yeah. You started as a PM. Mm -hmm. Now you're a big PM. The, the senior PM yes, is, yes. is your title. So, um, how would you describe the difference here from a product manager role to a senior product manager in terms of skill set requirements and responsibilities? Um, because Jib Jab is such a flat organization, I mean, to be honest, I wouldn't say that the the responsibilities or skill set um, is has changed quite a bit. It's more of just the trust, like in making decisions. Um, you know, when I was here uh, early on, um, sort of, I defer to to my boss or defer to uh, other people, Greg, the CEO, on on like decisions. But now I'm sort of empowered to make more of the decisions because I have a trust and have experience here. So I, I would say that's the biggest the biggest uh, difference. But not necessarily the actual things that I'm working on because our team is so small. Right. How many product managers in total? So uh, JibJab is kind of split into different sort of brands. So we have um, JibJab. So within JibJab itself, there's the mobile team, is which I lead, and then there's the web team, uh, which is a separate product team, which has two PMs, um, and then there's also uh, Storybots, which sort of a, a JibJab for kids. You can think of it as, but it's a separate brand that's geared towards kids uh, that has its, its own PM. Um, so that's kind of the answer. So four PMs divided each, between these. Each major brand has has a PM except for JibJab, which is two because it's bigger projects and then is there kind of a an SVP of product or a direct you know person in charge of product management as a department or it just goes straight to C level from there so um, for JibJab, one of the PMs is is that um, for uh, for JibJab Web, mm -hmm. for the JibJab mobile team, uh, I do have a uh, person I report to, but it's not necessarily an SVP of product. Um, he's uh, more of a design centric, but it's, so technically it's my report, but his focus and expertise is more on the design side. Um, but any product stuff still has to go through him. Right. Um, what do you think is the most misunderstood? Aspect of product management. Most misunderstood aspect. Um, I think the hardest thing, I don't know if I'd say it's a misunderstood, but the hardest thing is that the role and the requirements of the role vary quite a bit depending on the company, the stage of the company or product that you're working on. Um, and so for one position, you may need you know, one skill set, and for another, it's completely different. And I think that's one of the challenging things getting into product and, and understanding is because the role and the needs of the role change quite a bit depending on where you're at um, and what your exact role is at the company. Right. So how would you, you know, if you had some young disciple sitting here looking to you and all of your years of experience, what advice would you give them for navigating that space? That it's like the, the goalposts are always going to be moving. Yeah. I think like understanding what you're most passionate and interested in, in terms of, in terms of product management, is it the data crunching, you know, and the data analysis, is it the UX and, um, the user experience design, like, is it, um, 
you know, optimizing and A-B testing, like kind of defining like what your particular interest is within the sort of sphere of responsibilities that product managers have and then sort of focusing and uh, sort of branding and, and, and uh, fine tuning your skills in that area. Um, but at the end of the day, it is always sort of a dynamic position that you sort of need to wear many hats and, you know, sort of being the CEO of the product requires skills in lots of different disciplines. Do you have a favorite, like of all of those little pockets you talked uh, about, is there one that you're like, well, if I had to hold on to it, it would be data crunching or... Yeah, I mean, so I, I enjoy uh, sort of all aspects, but I think I, I just like, I love obsessing over like the littlest details <laughs> in the product. Like, I just, like you know, uh, like recently, like we updated our, our search UX in the mobile app. Um, and, uh, you know, we went through like a, a solid week to week and a half of just iteration on just very small nuances and changes to make it just feel right. So I love like the nitty gritty details. Um, I tend to be a little like OCD personally. So like I'm very uh, sort of in tune with like the, the fine details and I love analyzing whether it's the app I'm working on, or the product I'm working on, other apps, just try to understand the thinking behind the ways that something is designed down to like the smallest details is very interesting to me. Now when, to take that example that you just described, is that something that you would, uh, specifically for you and your team, how much iterating is happening at the design and sort of prototype level versus give it to the devs, have them deliver it onto a staging site, test it, play with it, iterate it from there? You know, where is the bulk of the iteration take place? So we try, I mean, big changes that you really can't get a feel for until it's built, we try to prototype those if we have time. Um, so um, something like search um, is something we'd want to prototype to try to get a feel. and. and all those iterations and changes hopefully happen before it gets in the hands of develop, developer. But for more basic things that just a flat design, you know, a Photoshop or sketch file is going to work, then we just hand that off to the developer. So it kind of depends on the scope of the feature and how much, you know, potentially could get lost in translation between the design and the final product. Um, and depending on that, like we'll try to prototype or certainly if there's animation involved, we'll have, you know, the animation created by our, by our department. So it just kind of depends. Right. I remember what I wanted to ask before when you were talking about all of the different product managers sort of owning their divisions or their brands. Mm -hmm. How much are you interfacing with them? How, how much is the mobile app being connected to initiatives on the web? Or is it like you're over here and we're over here and as long as we're honoring the brand guidelines and the brand promise, everything else is open season and independent? Um, so the Storybots brand is completely separate because it's just an entirely different um, product. For the JibJab web and mobile, um, we uh, are we tried because both the web and mobile team have e-cards. We tried to make the, the experience for that particular content format as close as possible. Um, and then we also have foundational APIs and technologies that both teams share from payments accounts. Um, so there's like aspects of the teams as it relates to those that that interface, um, but um, but not not heavily day to day or week to week. Um, but we'll have the same designers work on like the user experience, so we try to keep a consistency uh, on, on that level. Okay. Yeah. Different developer teams though. 
Correct. Okay. So yeah. different developer teams, shared design teams, separate PMs, mm-hmm. and collaborate as needed. Yeah, and that may be evolving for, for JibJab, you know, as we figure out how JibJab reinvents itself in the mobile era, um, you know, there may be, um, those teams may be shifting depending on how much of a, di- you know, how different this new experience is from e-cards and, and you know, the, the ownership of the mobile experience, you know, may eventually shift to the, the team that manages the web experience. It kind of depends on how our product evolves. Right. Um, but right now it's divided on mobile web. You mentioned about, you know, Facebook having an initiative for Messenger and I brought up Snapchat earlier. How does what's happening kind of in the world of instant messenger applications mm-hmm. kit Snapchat impact you guys in your opinion? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I definitely uh, and maybe there's something to mention just for product management in general, like you need to be curious, you need to be constantly testing. I mean I have hundreds and hundreds of apps on my phone, I'm testing everything. I think you can't really be good at your job if you're not playing with everything that's out there because things change fast, things evolve fast. Um, and um, and so I think testing of apps is something we do a lot. Like we look at every every app that's out there that's remotely doing anything with personalization and emoji and stickers and faces. So we, we test everything, we play with everything, we sort of collect ideas and thoughts um, and just sort of, just as a reference point to, to where we're thinking about, about going. Because um, certainly we want to try to do something that's innovative and new, but we want to make sure that we're aware of like what's what's happening out there. What are the best practices for face detection or for, right. for different technologies? How are apps handling these challenges? How are they doing it differently? What do we think is the best approach? So it helps us in that way. If you had to put, say, a percentage around the amount of time that you're thinking about researching mm-hmm. trends and competition, what would that be? Uh, it, it, it kind of ebbs and flows. Um, you know, we're working on a major iteration right now of an, of an app and a major version increase. So there's a lot of research involved, not just by me, but by the art team, by uh, the designers. So it's a cross-function sort of research effort. Um, but if we're sort of more in maintenance mode, then it's it's less of that. It may be more specific like to a, to a, a way of doing something that we're looking at other apps, but just at the current moment, we're like looking high level at the landscape and how apps are different doing things. But I would, I would always love more time for research because whenever I do research, it always provides dividends on the back end if you provide that sort of effort up front because you, you'll find um, the products will do things in a way that, that inspires how you do it that, that's better than if you just design with sort of your blinders on without reference to the best practices out there. Do you have a favorite app right now that's like your go-to, the one you're allowed to tout outside of JibJab and say, man, oh man, I can't put this down or like, I love what they're doing? Aside from, aside, like not related to JibJab or just in... Just- not related to JibJab, just like when you go out in the world and you have free time, this is the app, this is the one that you would like voluntarily tell your friends, family, whoever about because you just think it's awesome. Um... 
I mean, my day-to-day, I mean, I, I'm a big news junkie, okay. um, so I, I follow a lot of news, so, um, I mean, I love, um, obviously, Feedly for my, for my RSS, uh, Nuzzle is a great one um, uh, for catching up with news, I don't know if you're familiar. I'm not, I, I know Feedly, tell me about Nuzzle. Uh, so Nuzzle, it basically, um, it looks at your following on Twitter and Facebook, and then uh, aggr- and then looks at the news that the, your graph is sharing, and then rank orders the top news stories that uh, your graph is sharing, and then shows like the avatars of your friends that are sharing it. Oh, okay. So it basically kind of just surfaces the best, most interesting news within your social graph. So it's a very like high signal, like it's a great way to sort of keep track of the news with um, with little effort because it, it automatically kind of gives you the most important things. So I love Nuzzle. Um, That's cool. I'm yeah. Check Nuzzle out. Um, what about books? Books or resources? You know, do you have two or three kind of must reads that you would recommend to again, you know, anybody who's looking to get into the space or bolster their skills or just things you think if you haven't read this, yeah. you know, you're not living. Um, the, the, we, the one I recently like is uh, Hooked, which is a book that's been pretty popular. Um, I love listen, so I love listening to podcasts, okay. um, especially about product and tech, because I find just a more natural like dialogue. You gets lots of insights and very interesting um, things to take away from. So Design Details is a great uh, podcast I listen to. It's, it's centric on design, but it feeds over into product quite a bit. That's a really, really good one um, that I'd recommend. Um, design details great podcast wise okay awesome yeah I, I I just realized even in listening to your answer my inherent bias because I have not historically been an avid listener of podcasts yeah. I'm being every day gently cajoled further even in this exercise we're yeah. doing um, but then I think book 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 article article read yeah, yeah and then I'll be the last vestige of people that's like I won't watch my news in a video I yeah. want it in text so. But yeah, I find bike podcasts because it's it's using more relevant because it's it's just you know it just was published, um, and I just love the you know the interview approach where you're talking to someone. It's more just like a casual conversation because there's often just nuggets of like insights and things that I just find more approachable and relatable than you know sitting down with a book. So yeah, po- podcasts uh, is like a, a big thumbs up for me. So will you listen to a podcast in the car or on a run or any time you have a minute? Like what's your podcast listening? Yeah, so uh, well, actually, I got rid of my car two years ago. So oh. I Uber and Lyft every day. So that's oh. a side benefit of that is lots more time for listening. Um, so my my book reading and podcast listening has gone up quite a bit. Um, but um, so I I basically I have a, a set. A handful of podcasts are like a must listen that I listen to uh, while I'm, you know, walking or uh, you know at the gym, uh, running or something. Um, and I also what I find very useful is um, things that I sort of flag and feedly uh, go into um, Pocket, and then I have uh, if this and that recipe that sends those to Narrow, which is a service that transcribes or a text-to-speech uh, of those things, and then I subscribe to that as a podcast. So um, if I don't have time, so I'll often do like my workflow will be, I'll skim headlines and feedly to like batch process, 
flag the things I want to listen to, those go into pocket and then sent to another service that I just subscribe to in my podcast client. So while I'm walking, I can just be reading the articles I'm interested in reading, not just listening to podcasts. So it's a very useful tool to... You've got all the things going on. I like that you have your own individual workflows baked in that you're using if this and that. You like that? Oh, I love, yeah. I use if this and that. I use uh, Zapier as well. Um, I think just part of like me just in general, like I love designing systems and workflows. Um, you know, I've always loved designing like admin systems and backend tools as well. Like, I mean, right now I'm working on mostly, uh, you know, consumer centric UI, you know, consumer app, but you know, I love getting into the nitty gritty of like systems and workflows. Um, and so even with personally, personal life, I try to optimize and build that sort of thing. So have you been running around the office trying to convince everybody of a little, little automation workflows you guys can build out for people? kind of funny people joke um but yeah i'm always kind of like selling someone on an app or selling someone on you know the thing that they must have or how like their workflow is inefficient and i can save them one minute instead of you know so yeah i'm you know i'm always sort of trying to find that extra like percent of optimization so awesome um last question for you uh, on your personal website, mm. you have a tagline that says subtract. Let me say that again. Subtract until it breaks. Yes. What does that mean to you? Uh, so it means, um, I think a tendency to, to solve a problem is to always add something, um, you know, and I think oftentimes you can, by questioning everything, every element on a screen, every element of a product, every feature, um, and by absolutely only having the core there, you probably solve solve your problem in a better way than just tacking on something in addition. Um, so, um, you know, it's very hard to do because it's, it's easier to, to just slap something on to solve a problem. It's harder to solve it with less and solve things by pulling away things. And it, it makes it harder, you know, to... to uh, it, make, it forces you to make those hard decisions about, you know, the MVP, sort of MVP approach. Like, what are the actual, like, core things we need to include and only including those? So I just like that sort of approach to, to life, approach to to, uh, to products. I mean, like, that's why I got rid of my car. Like, just subtract elements from your life, from your product, from everything um, so that what's left is the core. So how many years until you're just kind of living on a beach somewhere, emancipated uh, entirely from tech? I found the most highly optimized workflow in yeah. getting up and going to the ocean. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But yeah, I think it's it's a good like uh, sort of way to live. Um, I find it very useful. But cool. Yeah. Well, listen. Thank you so much for your time. It's really yeah. been awesome hearing from you and. Great answers, great insights, love the office. Yeah, You're listening to 100 PM, the official podcast for 100productmanagers.com. If you haven't been to our site, please check it out. We have so many great resources for anybody looking to learn more about product management or starting a technology business. I'm your host, Susanna Bate. Join me here. We've got a new conversation every Tuesday. We'll see you next time.